And so we want to continue on today. We've been talking about uh, the fact uh, that when Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, it's funny that when the disciples asked him to teach us to pray, his first word, first wording was, he starts out and he talks about his father. Our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, God has a will that he is fulfilling and accomplishing and imparting and getting done in the heavenly realm. Our responsibility is to find out and know what that is that we can also do the same will on earth and that heaven can come to earth by us doing God's will. And so, so as we look at this passage, we look at today and we're talking about the kingdom of God, what we have been talking about is the king himself. Uh, much of the kingdom teaching that we have seen and heard of lately, uh, it talks about all the dynamics of the kingdom, uh, they talk about miracles. They talk about signs and wonders. They talk about healing and deliverance and prosperity and wealth. And all those things are all characteristics of the kingdom. But one of the missing ingredients is that we have failed to give a proper description and understanding of Jesus as the king. Billy Graham made a statement many years ago I thought was very interesting. He said, we live in a world today that understands good morals. It understands between good and bad morals and things. But he said, we don't understand who God is. We don't understand who Jesus is. We don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And so if you'll notice that in the latter part of his life, whenever he would preach, he would preach about who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and who Jesus is. Because we need to, if we're going to be rekindled, we need to be rekindled in our relationship to Jesus, not just about what happens in the kingdom. And so I wanted to uh, sh share this with you. We talked last time about uh, the uh, being uh, Jesus was born a king. We talked about how he died a king, uh, according to the scripture. Uh, we said in Matthew uh, chapter 24, I believe it was, or Matthew, excuse me, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, uh, it was that uh, they accused him. If you say you are the king, then come down off of that cross. Well, Matthew, the book of Matthew, is writing about Jesus' kingship, and he does it again and again. Then in Mark and Luke, uh, we see that he writes about an inscription of him being a king on the uh, uh, an inscription that was given about him. and But in John's Gospel, chapter 18, it is actually a title that is given to him. Uh, in John uh, chapter 19 and verse 19, it says, And Pilate wrote a title. See, kings recognize other kings. And put on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And this title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified 
was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the, Jew, of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And we understand that he wrote it in Hebrew, he wrote it in Greek, and he wrote it in uh, Latin. The reason being that he was saying prophetically, it was a sign that was saying uh, when he wrote it in the Hebrew that he was saying, I am the king of the oracles of God. I am the word of God. I am the king of the word of God. I Everything that I have said uh, is, is my word and its authority that's there. He wrote it in Greek to say that he is the king over the learning or the learnings of the philosophers of the day. In other words, there's only one philosophy that is important, and that is the philosophy of God and uh, understanding that philosophy. Some people call it the ideology. Uh, whatever term you want to use, it still is that there is no philosophy, no ideology that is greater than the kingdom of God and the King Jesus. He also wrote it in Latin. And the Latin was that he was king over all man-made laws. Now, I know that in civilization, especially civilized worlds, that we need laws. If we didn't have laws, there would be all kinds of accidents on the road because when a red light comes on, it means stop. And when a green light comes on, it means go. Yellow light means to get ready to stop and I'll caution and all those things. We've got to have those things in order to have a civil life. But when, when governments establish laws that are uh, opposed the laws of God, then as Christians and as, as citizens of the kingdom of God, then we have to pray, we have to uh, decide what is our responsibility in obeying those laws. Today, we have heard many things in this area. Much of it is very confusing. And we'll get into more of that as we go along. But, uh, but, but th that's what it represents. Now, in John chapter 8, in verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto Jesus, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In other words, I'm not arguing with you. You say it. You see it. I've got all the characteristics of a king. You're a king. You recognize my kingship. So, he, in essence, what Jesus was saying without saying it is, I am a king. I am a king. Now, why is this important? Because the kingdom is in the lifestyle, is in the name or the lifestyle of the king. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 that hid in him are all the treasures... All the treasures of three things, revelation, wisdom, and power. Now, what does that mean? Well, revelation is what, what we, how we operate in the kingdom. It's not just book learning, even though we can have book learning and education. I'm not opposed to that, nor do I speak against that, because I believe that you will eventually follow education. But education is subject to revelation or revelation of the oracles of God. Uh, revelation is a very interesting word because revelation is as if I had a jar in front of me 
and I took that jar and I unscrewed the cap off of that jar, opened it up, and then poured things into that jar, and then I sealed it back up. That is a picture of Revelation, that it's God, when He comes to us, it's like He takes off the lid and He pours in the oracles of God, the revelation of God, the purposes of God, pours into us, and then He seals it back up and begins to work it into our lives. He, he, what at first it does is it begins to dislodge something of me that is not pleasing to God or is ruling me in a wrong way that is hindering his rulership and it is allowing God to release something or deposit something in me that I can begin to walk out that is eternal in nature. And so revelation has to do with the oracles, the treasures of the oracles of God. The second thing, it talks about wisdom. Wisdom is the primary thing. Uh, I sit down with my sons from time to time, and I say to them, listen, just knowledge will uh, not get you ahead in life. Uh, it will not get you advancements. It will not get you uh, uh, positions, uh, leading positions. The primary thing, according to Proverbs, is wisdom. It is the primary thing. It is the embodiment of the king himself. He is a wise person, wisdom. And wisdom has to do with the philosophies of God. It, it is the, uh, uh, once again, we talked about earlier, the philosophies of how you live this life successfully. People of wisdom know how to live life. They know how to overcome in life. They know how to be victorious in life. They're not trying to figure out head knowledge but they're resting upon the spirit of wisdom. That's why Paul said in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, he prayed for the church at Ephesus, and here's what he said. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you might understand what the hope of your calling is. So wisdom plays a very important part. Pursue, pursue wisdom. You need wisdom in your life. You need to, when you understand wisdom, you begin to understand the philosophies and, and, uh, and, and how different ones match up and how certain things operate and why they operate the way they do. Wisdom will give you that insight. And then he talks about power. Power. Power is the uh, treasures of power helps us understand the laws of nature and the laws of man, how man functions, how nature functions, uh, power, and how we can uh, be victorious over these laws of nature and the laws of man. And all this is hidden in the king himself. His, his whole lifestyle uh, reflects these three areas that are here. Now in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it gives us the goal that this king has in mind, and that is that we be restored to the rightful place of dominion and authority. Now let me say this. You have this treasure that is hidden in you by the king. If you have Jesus in your life, this treasure is already there. It may not be activated. It may not be functioning right now in your life. 
but I want to tell you that it's all hidden in you already. You see, because we are in Christ, but also Christ is in us. So when Christ is in us, we have all those treasures that's, that's in our life already. But until we begin to walk it, we are not in Christ. And so, and when we're not in Christ, we don't understand how to operate in dominion and authority. But the goal is to restore you, just like Adam, to the original purpose that God had in mind, and that was dominion and subduing. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that old things are passed away and all things become new. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that word creature mean? Uh, is that some kind of swamp monster or some kind of Bigfoot or something uh, uh, abnormal like that or some kind of monster from outer space or whatever? That's the idea we English people get of the idea of creature. No, the word creature there in the original language, in the Greek language, it means original formation. In other words, when we come back into Christ, the old man nature, the old sinful nature has been replaced with the original nature that God had for man, and that was a spirit-led person. A, a divine nature is what Peter describes it. Now, what was the original formation? It was that Adam was put into a garden and that he walked with God in the cool of the day. And out of that fellowship with God, that original formation, out of that relationship with God, he went out and did his work every day. And when he did his work, he was subduing and exercising spiritual authority. And so that is the objective, that is the goal of what God wants you, that you would go out and exercise dominion in the area that he has called you to work in, that you would exercise spiritual authority in the area that he's given to you. Now, you have all the, 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 the tools that are needed for you to exercise dominion and to walk in spiritual authority. It's already in you because Christ is in you. And so we need to look at that. Now, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life. How many were stuck in your old sin-dead life? You were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins are forgiven the slate was wiped clean that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in your life how many of you had spiritual tyrants in your life spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets streets now, this is powerful. Now, notice here. He came and he wiped the slate. Now, in a Roman prison, what, what Paul was talking about there in Colossians, in a Roman prison, what they would do is when a prisoner or a person would commit a crime, they would go to the courts, they were found guilty, and then they were taken to the prison, they were put into their cell, 
and over the top of the door of their cell was written all the crimes that this person had committed, whether it was murder or stealing or robbery or rape or whatever it was. It was written over the, uh, the, the top of the cell on a placard, and then it gave the length of time that that person was going to be in prison. Well, this is the picture that Paul has when he talks about the slate that had been wiped clean. All the charges that Satan had brought against you because of your sin nature, whether you were a murderer, whether you were a drug addict, whether you were uh, uh, just a person that was lost, just someone that didn't have a relationship with God, uh, whether you were uh, an alcoholic or, or whatever it was, all those things that the enemy said, this is why you belong to me. And the sentence was eternal. It was an eternal sentence. In other words, there was no way out for you. But guess what? Jesus went to the cross. But not only did he go to the cross, he took all those writings that were written on your placard, he took all those writings and he took them upon himself. And they were all covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he was taken down from the cross. He was buried. And then he was raised from the dead. But before he was raised, he descended into the pits of hell. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, at first he descended. Why? Because he took the keys of all the Old Testament saints that were in prison, Abraham, Moses, David, uh, Noah, uh, Isaiah, uh, Zechariah, all those Old Testament saints that were locked up in prison and waiting for the day that they saw coming. He goes down and he says to Abraham, I have the keys. Come on out. He opens the door and releases them. And, and releases them. Go, why? Because by faith they saw his day. And in Matthew 27 says, they walked upon the earth again on the redeemed land that had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then they were taken into heaven in the resurrection with Jesus Christ. And so that slate now is like you. You were locked up. You had all these charges against you. You had an eternal sentence against you. But Jesus comes, goes to the cross, wipes the slate. That old arrest warrant has been canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. And then he stripped all those spiritual tyrants and then of the universe and their sham authority at the cross. He took it all away. He removed you from that eternal damn, uh, sentence of damnation. And now he's given you an eternal sentence of life everlasting. Now this is what's been provided for us. You see, these charges have been removed because Jesus, not because he died as a priest and not because he died as a prophet, he died as a king. He had authority to do that. He had authority to go into the domain. He exercised dominion. He had authority to go in to the depths of hell and release and take back his territory. Why? Because he was the strong man. He was stronger than the strong man. And he took back what belonged to him. 
He took back those that were looking for the day and by faith lived their life. They, 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 they were uh, mutilated, Hebrews 11 tells us. They, were, uh, 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 they, they turned out thrones and authorities and positions and all that. They turned it all down. Why? Because they saw his day. And so, so the charges that have been removed, he died as a king. He died as a king so he could go in and exercise the authority and the embodiment of his life. And so it's very important that we understand this. Now, we come to the third area here, the third area, and that is he reigns as a king today. He reigns as a king. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, it says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Now, what was that good confession? That good confession was, I am a king. That was his confession. That's the, that's the dialogue that he had with Pilate. It wasn't that, you know, I'm being mistreated improperly. Uh, the charges the Jews are bringing against me aren't true, all that. No, that wasn't his confession at all. His confession was, I'm a king. And so notice what it says. And that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Reigning as a king relates to his dominion today. He is the king of kings. That's you and I. He is the Lord of lords. That's you and I. You see, we are kings. We've been made kings by him. He relates to that and dominion. And so whenever we exercise dominion, we're allowing his lordship, excuse me, his kingship to operate through our life. Also, it says that he is Lord of lords is when we make, he is, he is Lord. It, the Bible says that if we confess him as Lord or one translation says, if we agree that he is Lord. You see, we can't make him Lord. He's already Lord. All we can do is agree that he is Lord. We can't confess him to be Lord because we can only agree that he is Lord. He will be Lord whether we confess or agree. Uh, 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 either way, we're going to do that. And so it's important that we understand that. Now notice here that when he does this, it says that there is an inhabiting, unapproachable light. This deals with a throne. Now in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul being uh, confronted with this unapproachable light. Uh, we see that he's on the road to Damascus. As he's going to Damascus, all of a sudden he hears this voice, then sees this light that knocks him to the ground and begins to dialogue with Paul. Won't take time to go into everything that's there. But notice, Paul calls him Lord in the discussion. Why? Because he recognized uh, that unapproachable light that was there. 
And notice here that around the throne, now if I take you over to Revelations chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, and we'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. The Bible the book of Revelation talks about the throne in every chapter except four. Chapter 2 does not talk about the throne. Chapter 9 does not talk about the throne. Chapter 10 doesn't talk about the throne. And chapter 15 does not talk about the throne. But out of 22 chapters, 18 of them talk about the throne. The place where this un-inhabiting, in, in, excuse me, the inhabiting unapproachable light dwells now it says in revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 when it talks about this throne it talks about that in the city of new jerusalem it says that there's no sun no moon no stars because it says jesus and the father they will be the light for the temple of god in the new jerusalem and so they are that enthronement. So the light speaks of this. Uh, many times you hear testimonies about people when they have died and they've come back, that when they were actually leaving their body, uh, they, they, uh, when they looked up and saw themselves, they were being drawn by a bright, bright light. And that bright light was one that was so peaceful and warm that they didn't want to come back. And so we see that light plays a very important part. And so, so he reigns as king. He sits on a throne. It's that uh, inhabiting and unapproachable light. Uh, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20 says, No man has seen God's face and lived. But the exception is Ezekiel chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 6, where he says that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, a light that was shining brightly unto him. We're going to talk more about this because he is the reigning king today. We have our rulership by the mere fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we're going to learn more about the king. We're going to understand more about the king. I want to thank you for tuning into this broadcast. I hope you stay in touch because we're going to learn more about the kingship of Jesus Christ and how we live our life through that kingship. God bless.